Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Man on the Post European podcast. My name is James Rowe, and once again, I'm joined by my partner in crime, Scott Monroe. Scott, good evening. How are you? Uh, yeah, not too bad. I think I'm under coming down with a bit of a cold this time of year. So last week it was sponsored by coffee. This time it's sponsored by paracetamols. Okay, not sponsored by Lemsip. Not Lemsip, paracetamols all the way. Right. Okay. We are going to start tonight by speaking about a team that had an absolutely tremendous and very timely result last night in Athletic Bilbao. They beat Girona in the 92nd minute with a penalty from Aduris. They are still in the relegation zone in La Liga on goal difference, but they've had a terrible start to the season. And considering that this is a club not so long ago that participated in the European final and harbour ambitions uh, to to push for Europe on a regular basis, has a wonderful stadium in Samames and a very, very passionate group of supporters. It's very interesting to see Athletic de Bilbao currently sitting in 18th place in the La Liga. What's your current take on Athletic uh, Bilbao, Scott? Um, it's... It's, to be honest, it's been a bit of a horror season for them. Um, they're a team that always seem to play on Monday night. So yeah. last week they played on Monday night. Yesterday they played Girona. Uh, uh, and then next week they play playing Alaves on Monday night. They always seem to be the team that's got the horrific, um, what would we say, 8 o'clock kickoff in Spain mm-hmm. on, a, on a Monday night, which is the 7 o'clock kickoff here well, well actually no it's the 9 o'clock kickoff over here so it's the 8 o'clock here sorry um, yeah it's been a bad, bit of a bad season they did um, sack their coach Eduardo Barrizzo last week and we, we spoke off air about it because yeah. um, it, it was to be honest they've been in horror, horror form they've only picked up before last night they only picked up one win um, in the league all season which came on the opening day of the season against Huesca yeah uh no, actually, it didn't. It came against Leganes. Sorry, I, I read the because I read the part on the, on the table. So they are in 18th. Where yep. Balacana in 19th, and Huesca at bottom on 20. Yeah. Um, uh, it's just it's just been horrible. And after when they uh, they beat Leganes on the opening day of the season, thanks to a late winner from Icamuinayin, yep. who evidently won the penalty last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a a, a, a run of like a couple of draws, which were actually against Huesca, Real Betis and Real Madrid they also got a point at the new Camp but uh, before last night their last five games um, they picked up two points which are draws against Valencia and Getafe and mm. then last week they got humbled by Levante and then uh, last night they picked up a very very crucial 1-0 win thanks to a, a late penalty from Adjuric's um, meant that Geiske Garitano picked up his first uh, first three points of the season 
in his first uh, first league game for them. Very timely. When you're looking at their squad, they've still got some very good players. Uh, Inaki Williams, uh, Susaeta, uh, Itu Raspe, who I've always thought is a very good player. And, Val Garcia uh, as well. He's, he did very well at Atletico Madrid. Yeah. He's he's very he's got he's very he's a very he's got full of guile that midfielder. He's you know he's very so, unique. Yeah. He's got a bit of a batter around for them. But also he's got a lot of guile. I think yeah. this, I think this Athletic Bilbao side will slowly rise up from the from the relegation zone away from danger. I know it's I know there's only fifteen games gone in La Liga, but I do worry for Huesca, Leo Balacano. And I think Laganes uh, will will, uh, will 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 also get relegated this season. Villarreal are also in seventeenth position. Yeah, they're um, they're on a bit of a free fall yeah. as well. But yet they they seem to be plugging it plugging away in Europe. It's a very strange. Yeah. You know, they could reach the last stages of the Europa League and then be involved yeah, in a in a yeah, relegation they, fight. Yeah, they've got the group of Rangers, Spartak Moscow, which is the only like one point between the top. I think it's one point between all four teams in that group. Yeah, when that draw was made, going off topic shortly, uh, um, sh- um, shortly, I um, um, I thought that was the toughest Europa League group in all honesty. I mean, you could rival, and you could say maybe Marseille, Frankfurt, and Lazio, but I thought, especially with the, with the away days in Glasgow, Villarreal, and Vienna, and Moscow, you know, it's. Uh, it's a uh, difficult away days, but um, back on topic, I think uh, at Bilbao, a timely win. You need a bit of luck sometimes, and it's good. Um, it's good to see them um, um, with, with a much needed win after under their belt. So as you say, the defeat uh, against Levante that was a bit of a shock. I think they lost three 0 in that game. Yeah. And uh, I think Levante kind of took them to the cleaners a bit. So it will be very interesting. But obviously, you know the history surrounding the club with. Um, with picking uh, players from the Basque uh, region and always having a, a a link to the club is very noble. But I, I know that it's been a couple of times where people have said, is it really relevant in this day and age? But I think the pride that that evokes for the players that pull on that shirt is it, it means an awful lot. And also with their stadium as well. They've got Semamez holds nearly 54,000 people and it's packed out most weeks and it's a real... It's a real club that has an awful lot of, of pull, a, a club that's got passion running through their veins, and I think um, I think we'll see them slowly rise up the league in all in all honesty. Um, it's a very iconic state. I did like the the old Sam yeah. even though it's a bit decrepit and falling apart. That was very iconic, mm. and that was um, apart from them to get into the Europa League final a couple of years ago. You just see the the European nights when they played. Uh, what Schalke, Manchester United? Yep. Uh, did they play Ajax or did Ajax get knocked out by Man United? Ajax got knocked out in the round before uh, by Manchester uh, United. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. So you just like got an iconic stadium under the lights. It can do wonders for you. Yep. But yes, Sam Amers, the new one, is uh, is on a bucket list for me to go to. It's mm-hmm. wonderful. It's, it's it's so iconic. And also the city of Bilbao as well. I think it's, uh, I think it's got a fantastic reputation. And um, yeah, this is a, 
a Bilbao also you got to remember they've won La Liga eight times okay the last time was back in 1980 1984 but still they've got a bit of a they've got a bit of a history it's not just always about the um about Barcelona and Real Madrid they are one of the most iconic clubs at the top tier in Spain and it's very interesting to see them having a difficult um having a difficult start I think with the previous manager as well with his um personal um per- personal battles um with, and also you know his time at Celta Vigo and Sevilla you know I, I wondered if he was the best fit for them I think now with a manager they've, they've uh, they'll kind of get their mojo back and I can see them rising up the table slowly but surely there's um, a, a final point. I managed to catch the last couple of minutes of the game yesterday. So I literally turned on to, over to 11 Sports as the penalty was awarded. Mm. And the nerves around the stadium when um, Adjuritz was about to step step up and take the penalty. You could, you could see it around the stadium. But it was a wonderful penalty. He decided to do a Penenka down the middle in yeah. the 92nd minute. So you got balls of steel. Yeah. There's an iconic, there's a photo of, of a Bill Bow fan just with it is he's now now on the floor, hands over his face, just like with relief. Yeah. Well I can imagine but it also shows great character to attempt to get a penalty like that in a game with, with a with a much needed much needed win. But I think Adoris is a is a prominent striker. He knows what he's doing. And um, yeah. yeah, he wouldn't have done it if he wasn't fully confident. And uh, yeah, I think this is the start of the uh, of the turnaround for Bilbao. In all in all honesty, let's hope so. Uh, we are now going to move on to a club that you might be able to tell our listeners a lot about, and that's Fiorentina in Italy. Fiorentina yeah, um... are currently sitting in twelfth twelfth uh, position in Serie A, having uh, I think they're winless in their last six, having drawn five. And um, what's your current take on uh, Fiorentina? And I wanted to ask, with your expertise, what's your opinion on their manager, Stefano Pioli? I like Pioli. Um, I think he's done. Uh, he did a very good job last season, steadying the ship. Just to think, 2018 has been a tough year for Fiorentina mm-hmm. because in March we had the uh, the tragic death of Davide Astori in a yeah. hotel room in Udine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just a few hours before Udinese was just about to take on Fiorentina um, and it's now come out that a, uh, I think in the last couple of days that um, there's some heart problems and he had the heart defects <sighs> yeah it's just a bit tragic and then a couple of weeks later Fiorentina played Benevento at home um, Hugo v- uh, Vitor Hugo scored the winner um, and he was wearing the 31 shirt and that was just a story's number at Fiorentina was 13 so it was just a role reversal and he did a very um, a very nice celebration for the goal um, but yeah after the game you could see the emotions pouring out of the team and especially Milan Badal she was the club captain mm. um, after um after that game and it's just like he just broke down in tears and you got Kerman Petzala I think sorry who is actually the club captain apologies um, Badalge, um just him and Petzala just broke down and you have Stefano Pioli come over and just like try and console them but uh, this season it's um, it's been a bit hard to watch for them I watched the game against uh, Juventus a not this weekend the weekend before and then um, Juventus um, played really really well and they 
really didn't have to come out of second or third gear. Um, Fiorentina had a good 10-15 minutes spent at the start of the second half. Juventus just scored at the right time. Um, Chiellini scored. <laughs> if Chiellini scores against you, you've got problems because he hardly scores at the moment. Mm. It was his first goal in like, about three years. But um, it was just a bit of a sucker punch because... In that game, in the second half, Fiorentina looked decent, but then Juventus just went, no, 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 we're gonna put, we're gonna play, play now, and then Chiellini scored, and then um, Juventus got a penalty at the end. But at the weekend, they were three-one down with just a couple of minutes to go against Osuelo, mm. and this weekend in Serie A was a weekend for comebacks, for late, 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 late goals, because on Saturday in Sardinia, uh, Roma were tuning up against uh, Cagliari, and then. Uh, Calorie scored in the 90th minute or 87th minute, um, 2-1, and then Robin Olsen got kicked in the head, and then there was a bit of a fracas, and then Calorie had two players sent off, and then Marco Sal in the 95th minute got an equaliser, so it was 2-2, and then you had the um, game in Rome with Lazio Sampdoria, which ended 2-2, where Lazio went 2-1 up after 96 minutes, Thanks to Chiro Marble penalty, which was far, went to VAR. And then three minutes later, you had Ricardo Saponara, ex Fiorentina, score in the 99th minute and then run to the uh, to the curve and nord to the, actually to the curve, so to the, uh, to the uh, Sampdoria fans and had his clothes ripped off him. There's a nice picture of him floating around with uh, fans tapping him on the backside in his whites. <laughs> <laughs> And then, um, and then on 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 Sunday, Sassuolo were three one up, and then um, it got to three two. And then in the ninety sixth minute, on loan, Everton forward Kevin Morales nabbed a, a late equaliser for them. Mm. Uh, looking at their squad, they've got some very good players. I know. Uh, do you know if Kevin Dix plays for Fiorentina with his Vitesse and um, his final past here? I think is it not. He's not a Bologna. Uh, I thought I thought he was uh, he was owned by Fiorentina. Oh, okay. I, and I don't know if they recalled him back because I know he signed a, he signed a very long deal, but I don't know if it's a uh, if it's a um, if it's like a, a normal Italian thing to send players on loan. He was loaned to I believe he was loaned to Feyenoord. I believe because okay. they brought him from Vitessa. But one point I wanted to ask you because I've seen uh, Diego Simeone on the sidelines at the. Uh, uh, at the stadium of Fiorentina, uh, Temio Franchi, watching his son Giovanni play. And I wonder what that must be like for the players of Fiorentina and particularly for Giovanni Simeone. That your, your dad is watching you. He's one of the most successful coaches in Europe. And what must be going through his mind? Is he, is he studying how good his son is playing? Is he studying how good Fiorentina can be? Or is he just there to watch it, to, to enjoy a game of football? I, I, wonder, I, I wonder about that. Probably the latter, yeah. um, uh, but if he's, he's been watching his boy in the last couple of weeks, he's been struggling yeah. and he's been lacking a lot of confidence um, against Juventus. He missed a very easy chance and I think the game was at 1-0. Um, mm. The ball came across and he just totally fluffed his lines and he's lacking a bit of confidence and it seems to me that he might need some time out of the team um, it, it really, it's really affecting him because it's not getting the best out of their front three but if anyone watches Federico Chiesa yeah I was about to say that that oh. was that was my next question I think uh, I think there must be if I, I know we talk about football fathers and their sons but 
I think yeah. I think with uh, Enrico and, Feder- and Federico, it must be like a mirror image, about twenty yeah. years apart in terms of the way they move, in terms of the uh, the, the the way how important they can be. Uh, I believe Enrico Chiesa also played for Fiorentina. Is that correct? Yeah, he also played for Parma. Yeah, yeah. Parma, Fiorentina. Yeah, and um, yeah, I think uh, I think in that case, the apple did not fall far from the tree at all. He's, um, he's a hell of a talent and um, there's rumours flying around that someone is going to get him in the summer so mm. someone of the big clubs is sniffing around and so there's rumours of Inter Milan and a couple of clubs in, in England um, but they're going to be t- uh, they're going to be playing top dollar they're going to be paying 50, 60, 70 million for him he's that good but this season he's been a bit selfish and mm. um Gary Bertles, who does the commentary on Eleven Sports, has been a bit critical of him. I don't. I think this may be like the first time he's actually seen him play, but he's he's just a wonderful player to watch, and is so pleased that he's now in the Italy squad. It's just it's just brilliant to see because that front three now for Italy is um, Insigne, Bernadeschi, and um, Chiesa, and that's a, quite a very fluid, dynamic front three. Yeah, I can imagine Gary Bertles doing the commentary for Italian football. Uh... Did he ever play in Italy? No, it, I, did, I don't think I don't think he played abroad or anything. And I know, nor, I know, in the past with football Italia, they had Luca Blissett and Ray Wilkins and and that kind of thing of people that actually played in those stadiums and played in that environment, which which gave a fantastic um, insight. But I, I, I mean, obviously, I respect Bertles with the career he had, specifically at Nottingham Forest. I mean, the guy, the guy wrote history, but I wonder what he's doing commentating on Italian and, in particular, foreign football. He's, he was doing the Coppa Italia on Sky Sports last year. Okay. And I think he got picked up to do Serie A for 11 sports, which gets broadcasted to America as well. Okay, very interesting. Very, very. I think, I think Football Italia just set the bar so high. I think you know you expect that every co-commentator or commentator about Italian football knows uh, knows their onions. Otherwise, they shouldn't be concentrating, shouldn't be commentating on it. Oh yeah, indeed. Great. Those were the days. Those indeed. Were the iconic days of Channel Four. Indeed, indeed. We are now going to move on, Scott, to a club very close to my heart and a club which uh, which plays there. Matches in the wonderful city that I call home, and that is Ajax Amsterdam. Should they beat Bayern Munich tomorrow at home, they will top their Champions League group, having last season not participated in European competition. They are hunting PSV down like snipers. They are still only two points behind PSV, and uh, having won their last six matches in the Eredivisie, and they look really, really good. Uh, what's your opinion of Ajax Amsterdam at this precise moment in time, Scott? Um, only seen like the highlights on Eleven Sports and like the bits and pieces we get on the Champions League on BT Sport. Um, I've been quite quite encouraged by them. I do like their squad and so many good young players. I remember we were talking uh, on uh, social media over DMs. Uh, I love that front three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah David Neres, Casper um, Dolberg, slash Klaas Jan Huntelaar yeah. and then you've got um, Dusan Tadic and there was, a, there was a stat flying around a couple of weeks ago that Dusan Tadic has scored more goals this season since his move from Southampton to Ajax then Southampton did before they started scoring again um, they got a couple against um, 
Manchester United and Fulham. I think mm. he scored 13 and they scored 12, yeah. which is a fantastic stat. Um, but yeah, um, we were talking not so long ago uh, about PSV. And when PSV beat them 3-0, you're thinking, okay, yeah. something could happen here with PSV. Could they go a whole season unbeaten? But no, Ajax have been on their coattails. Yeah. And, and as you said, they, they've they won uh, six of the last six in yeah. the Eredivisie. Yeah. Um, did, was it Nack Breda they beat 8-0? Uh, eight nil. They had. Uh, they really filled their boots against yeah. Bleda in particular. Uh, final. Um, final beat BSV at home, which was, which was, I think, wasn't a massive surprise to me, given the away luck that PSV had in Zwolle and also in Sittard, winning, uh, winning both games, but against a run of play, you could say. But um, yeah, this uh, having watched Ajax at home uh, five times so far this season, I was at the match where Dusan Tadic and Danny Blind also made their European uh, debuts and well, their, their debuts against Sterling Glass. And if ever home advantage is being rammed down people's throats, especially in Europe, then uh, it's in Amsterdam. I was at the match against Benfica when they won one nil with a goal in injury time, or no, eighty six minute, I believe. And, yeah, and um, and the although Benfica were extremely conservative, um, they just the the crowd got Ajax up the pitch trying to attack, and uh, the fans are happy. Everybody's happy. Everybody's riding the crest of a wave with tremendous players. But this has to result preferably in the league title for the first time in four years, because that's. Um, that's where the, the the desire is. The desire is to, to wrestle the title back and, and, and win it yet again. And obviously with great players like Matthijs de Ligt and Frenkie de Jong, who uh, has been um, he's been courted for a move to Paris Saint-Germain. But as, as I've stated on uh, on other podcasts and also on TalkSport when speaking to Ray Stubbs, de Ligt and Frenkie de Jong are not, two, not only two tremendous footballers, but also very intelligent young men. And I think they are going to surprise us with their choices but uh, they'll be here for a while yet you know they're still both very very young Matthias de Ligt as well is also captain of Ajax at the age of 19 which is uh, which is phenomenal but do bear in mind he doesn't have an awful lot of experienced players who are reaching the end of their careers or who have been there done it and brought the t-shirt in that same dressing room like, for example, if it was a 19-year-old leading a group of, I don't know, 27 to 32, then you could say, well, there's something special here. And yes, De Ligt does have tremendous qualities, but the dressing room is still very young. I think as well, a lot of credit has to go to the manager, Erik Den Haag, who brought Utrecht uh, up on the rails and, and got them playing some tremendous football and managed by Munich's reserves in the past, as well as go-ahead Eagles. But... Um, it's just there's a real good feel factor, you know. Like for example, tomorrow at home to Bayern Munich, the match, um, both Ajax and Bayern Munich are through, but the match sold out completely. It's not a spare ticket going round, and uh, I, I, I'm confident that Ajax will avoid defeat tomorrow. I think the draw is, I think the game's going to be two-two, and uh, Bayern Munich without Robin, it's unfair. For, it's a bit unfair for him not being able to, to return to the mother. To the motherland because he's got a, um, he's got a, a thigh injury where uh, he um, disrupted a nerve uh, when playing for Bayern Munich against uh, Benfica, 
where um you know it's just uh, it's uh, it's grating a little bit and it doesn't completely feel right by his own admission so unfortunately he won't be in Amsterdam tomorrow night but my prediction is that Ajax will draw 2-2 and regardless of opponent in the Champions League last 16 Scott they will give anybody a game in Amsterdam I mean I was on a podcast the other week where um, a Dutch football podcast where they're trying to uh, proclaim that finishing first is 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 of paramount importance because if they was to play a Juventus or an Atletico Madrid, yes, but you can't. I'm a firm believer that you can't plot your way through a European competition. You you can try, but it's fantasy stuff because you never know uh, what's going to happen. Like for example, Schalke and Porto. Should I come up against either of them? It's going to be very difficult. But I'm 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 extremely confident that. Um, They'll give anybody a game in the last 16, whoever it may be, and they have an excellent chance, in my opinion, of reaching the quarterfinals. They've got a very young, hungry squad who can do anything on their day. There's a player I wanted to ask you about. It's Hakim Ziyech. Hakim Ziyech, yes. He's a tremendous player. He's, uh, he's He's extremely intelligent. And he was playing in the early days for Hude and Fane. And then um, he was playing under Marco van Basten back then. And he wasn't really given a, a huge opportunity. He um, he went to Twente. And he turned down and moved to Sampdoria. Wanted to come to Ajax. And um, I, I think he's just he's, he's an inte- such an intelligent player. You know, he's... Um, I think he'll surprise us with with his choice as well. I know Roma are heavily linked. He yeah. was he was heavily criticised Scott for not choosing to play for the Netherlands and choosing to play for Morocco. Yeah. But by his own admission, his father, who unfortunately passed away, is buried in Morocco. Ziyech feels that he has uh, enough Morocco root, roots. In, in Moroccan roots. He respects them. He's very quiet. You don't really hear much about him, but his intelligence is just a drips, drip, drips away from him. And um, yeah, he's just. I mean, you, he, I thought he had a quite good World Cup. I think he's really looking forward to the Africa Cup next uh, next year. And um, I think he has a great chance to win an international uh, trophy because I think Morocco, um, by their own admission, with uh, Mehdi uh, Benatia. Um, with the coach they have in Hervé Lenard, uh, I think Benatia gave a, a, an interview to BBC Football and he stated that this is our, a wonderful chance for us to win the African Cup. If we don't win it next summer, we'll never win it. And they'll be hoping to win it for the first time since 1976, which which was their only success, Morocco, in the African Cup of Nations. I think they they lost the final in 2004, but I think Ziyech is going to be a is going to be a, a huge part of that. I mean, his passes, his passing range is exceptional, and he's just he just appears to have more time on the ball than most, and. Um, you know, when he came to Ajax, people were saying, you know, you turned down Sampdoria, there were other opportunities. But by his own admission, he wanted to play for the biggest club in the country and it's, uh, it's really done him and his career the world of good. Yeah, and um, um, as you said, Roma were linked for him. Um, Monty likes him. And I think most of the Roma fan base like to have him yeah. at Roma because he could play a couple positions he could play as like a deep line playmaker in a two or in a three and also he could play behind the striker which I think Roma are looking at but whoever would like to pick him up mm. um, they've got a fight on their hands because it look, looks to me like Ajax want to keep him and like 
him to be the leader in their team and in that very young team because you've got Frankie Dion, you've got yeah. Van is it is it Van der is it Van der Beek or Van uh, Donny Van der Beek Van der Beek who is also being courted by a lot of clubs mm-hmm. and, and you've got Lasse Schoner in that midfield who's evergreen the Danish midfielder who's just a wonderful range of passing and he's got such a good squad on there such a very talented young players mm-hmm. and he's very top of the list very at the top of the list there um, yeah I fully agree I think one important part to let you know about Lasse Schoner I actually paid very very little for him for, for uh, when uh, Shona was at NSA Nijmegen, I think in 2013, I think he arrived, and uh, what a what a signing! You know, evergreen, wonderful free kicks, a real a real talisman, and um, yeah, Van der Beek um, is physically very strong. It, it can be sometimes a bit inconsistent, but he's still got an awful lot. Uh, to offer, but obviously the the big three is uh, De Jong, De Ligt, and Ziyech. But you mustn't also discount what an what a tremendous impression um, David Nieles has made. Yes, he's yeah. made a great impression, especially with his pace. I mean, I was at a game back in April where they beat Faith Faith Enlo at home, and he scored a tremendous goal. And uh, if you look it up on YouTube, I expect Faith Enlo Nieles. Uh, it's a tremendous finish, and uh, you know he's um, he's well loved by the fans. He's respected by the fans, and. Uh, as I say, there's a real good feel factor around here now. I mean, there always is, especially when you li- when you live in the city as well. You know, the club is the city. There's there's no other club. There was um, there was an Amsterdam-based club called Blauwit many many years ago, uh, who played at um, who played at the um, highest level in the Netherlands. And but I Amsterdam is uh, is the main club, and uh, given the rich history with uh, four European cups and. Um, you know, rich European history specifically. You know that means an awful that means an awful lot to the uh, to the fans. But not for, notwithstanding the thirty three league titles and eighteen Dutch cups, and they'll be hoping to make it a thirty fourth this season in May. And I'm I'm extremely confident they will. That was my next question. Do you think they could catch PSV? Yeah, I do. I I think primarily because. Um, I think the energy levels of PSV will be zapped around February and March time. And I just think that there's so much drive for this young team to win something and, you know, to win a, to win a title for the first time since 2014. And um, so it'll be, the, you know, the first title in um, what would be five years. And, um, yeah, they just, um, I, I think they'll give it their all. I think Ten Hag also knows as well. You know, he's only... Uh, He's only been in charge for just about a, a year, but you know he's he hasn't come to Amsterdam to mess around. He's come to to be a very very um, to enhance his reputation and 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 be a very astute manager. Ten Hag himself is only forty eight years old, and obviously with his experience with um, being manager of the Bayern Munich reserves, uh, two years at Utrecht where they played some tremendous football, especially at home. And then his his period at Go Ahead Eagles, which is a, a tremendously well respected and specifically well run club here in the Netherlands. Watch this space between Ajax and PSV in the Eredivisie and Ajax in the Champions League. Indeed, I shall look forward to uh, to their potential Champions League last sixteen match, and I hope to attend. Should it not clash with an Arsenal Europa League home match, so we'll just have to wait and see. Um, Scott, would you like to? T- is there anything specific? <coughs> 
Excuse is, me. Is there anything specifically you would like to plug? And would you like to tell the Twitter? Um, uh, um, would you like to tell the listeners your Twitter feed, please? Okay, you can find me at, at Scott underscore Munro, where um, I will interact with anyone talking about football. Um, I put a couple of tweets out in the last couple of days. Um, I, I don't do as much writing as I used to do, so I've got my own WordPress account. And in the last couple of days, um, I said I've got two pieces lined up. One is about Palermo and the 2015-2016 season where... Um, Zamperini, their evergreen former owner of the club, um, went through eight coaches. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just uh, digress and put that into place. And then um, after that, my next piece will be about Claudio Ranieri's um, first season in Roma, the 2009-2010 season, mm. where um, Roma were. Mm, minutes away from winning their fourth Scudetto yeah. and were pipped to the post by Jose Mourinho's Inter Milan side okay. he, made Rome, he made Rome a dream again well he made Leicester dream of course and I think uh, I think he'll make Fulham dream with staying up without any difficulty very very interesting Scott I'm sure the listeners will look forward to that listeners as they know they can uh, contact me at, at James Rowe NL um, I'd like to give a small quick preview to our final pod of the calendar year next week Scott where I'm just going to give a sneak preview to listeners that we plan to talk about our um, our calendar year highlights and uh, and all our experiences Experiences and, uh, and what we've enjoyed the most about European football. Yeah, um, what favourite matches, yep. favourite goals, favourite games you've attended. Yep. All of that bundled into a lovely podcast. Indeed. So if you don't want to get your questions in early, feel free to tweet me or Scott with a relevant question, however vague it may be. Finally, we'd like to point you in the direction of the Man on the Post podcast network with the likes of Unusual Efforts, Man on the Post Extra Time, and of course our pod, our European pod, which we really enjoy and we appreciate your support at all times. We look forward to speaking to you again next week, listeners, and always remember to keep your Man on the Post.